Hey there, and uh, welcome back to the World Hopper's Guide to the Cosmere. I'm your host, Ari, and as I've been kind of neglecting to say at the top of the episodes lately, but, uh, well, I've got your attention, though I thought I'd let you know, uh, kind of, nothing crazy, but uh, thanks to everyone who's been supporting this show over the last few months. As we move into the summer, though, I will be shifting probably to a two-week release schedule, which kind of gives me a little more time to write episodes in between until I've got some recording equipment at home that's not as terrible as what you heard in the first couple episodes of the show. Uh, still, I will let you know if when that changes, but uh, hopefully it just means I'll have a lot more time to work on this stuff. Uh, without further ado, though, let's get back to our fundamental Cosmere studies and talk about perpendicularities. Spoilers ahead for just about the entire Cosmere, including Elantris, Mistborn Secret History, and Oathbringer. Now, you may be asking questions like uh, perpendicularities. What are they? Where have we seen them? And why do they exist? Well, now you're thinking with portals. So, let's define our terms a little bit. What in the name of Adenalsium is a perpendicularity? Now, perpendicularities, known otherwise as shard pools, are, in essence, heavy concentrations of investiture. They are locations, usually pools of liquid, that have become so dense with pure magical energy that they form something of a link between the physical, cognitive, and spiritual realms. Listen to our episode on that if you... You probably know. Yeah. yeah. Basically, they're the locations of extreme power for a given shard. Probably the most prominent example being the Well of Ascension, which houses the power of preservation. If you want to use a metaphor, most of the time the three realms run parallel to one another, insofar as different planes of existence kind of can be parallel. But a perpendicularity bends these lines just a little, so they overlap and form something like a stitch or a tube, letting you slide between all three. It's possible to look into the spiritual realm from the physical realm, but we've kind of gotten tantalizingly little about the mechanics of how that experience would work. So the main use of perpendicularities that we've seen so far is their use as a gateway between the physical and cognitive realms. We'll talk about world hoppers more in depth in a future episode, but essentially to world hop means to use perpendicularities to travel between planets. See, as we've said about the cognitive realm before, the distance between galaxies in the physical realm is shrunk to be more like a distance between continents in the cognitive. If a world hopper uses a perpendicularity on Scadrial, they can move relatively quickly towards Roshar and pop out in the physical realm there in a matter of weeks or months, all thanks to the power of the perpendicularity. Diving into the mechanics a little, shard pools perpendicularities sort of just happen whenever a shard is on a planet for long enough, as their investiture sort of seeps into the world, though the shard can also choose to have some sort of control over how it manifests. When a shard leaves the system, though, their shard pool starts to lose its power and eventually disappear. This makes them a pretty good metric for whether there's a shard on a planet or not. The magical aftereffects of a shard can persist in a system, but the perpendicularity isn't always there. This is, for example, one reason why it can be tricky to get on and off Threnody, the planet from Shadows for Silence. There's magic, but there's no shard on a planet. Perpendicularities are sporadic and dangerous and not really well understood there. So, where have we seen these guys? We are probably most familiar with one that is, or maybe was, on Scatriel. Preservation's perpendicularity was the Well of Ascension, the prison made of his own power that he used to trap Ruin for a thousand years. Hidden under Credic Shaw, this was where Kelsier, after Ruin was released, eventually managed to avoid full death and bind himself to the Cognitive Realm. 
and it's also where Hoyt arrives to transport himself back to Scadriel after leaving for a bit. Hoyt notes that he was forced to use the well, which used to be dangerous because it had ruin inside it. He was forced to use it because Kelsier managed to destroy the other perpendicularity on the planet, the Pits of Hotsin. This was, of course, where the body of ruin was slowly beginning to reform, making the Atium beads. It was also known for a pretty lucrative interplanetary Atium trade, among other things, which Kelsier amusingly threw into disarray. The pits presumably were a pretty safe place to enter and exit Scadriel, thanks to the fact that Ruin was trapped in the well. However, events at the end of Hero of Ages changed the status quo a little bit. There is now just one shard on Scadriel, Harmony. We don't know yet where his perpendicularity exists and whether it's split into the well and the pits, but Brandon has rayfoed that question so we're not totally sure. It also brings up the question of whether Atium, aka the Lost Metal, which is the name of the next Wax and Wayne book, will begin to reappear, or whether only Harmonium exists now. Either way, we've digressed, so let's pop over to the Shard Pool in Elantris, which is, of course, the pool at the top of the mountain where Elantrians dissolve. This is Devotion's perpendicularity, and pops up three times in the story. Once when Prince Rayodin puts a Hoed inside, and the Hoed dissolves into nothing. And once at the climax when Rayodin himself is put inside the pool after becoming Hoed, and finds himself forced to decide whether he wants to give in or not. He ultimately doesn't, obviously, which is a big turning point in the climax of the story. And, interestingly enough, we learn from Brandon's annotations that he didn't actually know how the pool was going to fit into the magic system or the Cosmere that he was just beginning to develop. In the 10th anniversary edition of Elantris, though, we get confirmation of the shard pool status when Hoyd uses the pool to world hop away from Cell after failing to become Elantrian. The interesting part about this is twofold. One, the cognitive realm in Cell is exceedingly dangerous. Because Devotion and Dominion are dead and their power is in the cognitive realm, the door is basically just a wild storm of magic. Hoyd survives because he's Hoyd and he's awesome, but the Hoyd that we saw with Raiden also survived. He appears in Oathbringer as the lighthouse keeper living in Shadesmar, thousands of years after he became Hoed. We might learn more about him and how he survived and how that works when we learn about the world hopping group known as the Irie, who we see a little bit in Mistborn's secret history, but for now we're going to leave Cell alone. We don't know where Dominion's perpendicularity is yet either. We'll take a brief pit stop to First of the Sun then, which is where the novella Sixth of the Dusk occurs. This planet is a minor shard world, which means it's had shardic influence, but doesn't actively house a shard. Best we can tell, this was a planet that bears the touch of autonomy. Most likely, autonomy's shard pool is Patji's Eye, the pool at the center of the island Patji, where the Aviar get all their power. Finally then, we turn to good old-fashioned Roshar, which is where we get some of the most interesting ideas on perpendicularities. For one, obviously, there are, there are two, if not three, shards at play on this planet. While Odium's influence is felt on Roshar itself, he likely has a shard pool on Braze rather than Roshar. Cultivation is perhaps the most stable and has a perpendicularity on the Horneater Peaks. This is the hot spring where the Horneater people survive, and it's also a perpendicularity that has the Hoyd stamp of approval. Rock tells the story of seeing a white-haired trickster god pop out of the pool. It's also the perpendicularity used by Captain Azur to arrive on Roshar, and the one she was headed towards by the end of Oathbringer. Presumably then, it's also the one where Zahel and Nightblood arrived. It is possible to have more than one shard pool, and the question of whether there is another perpendicularity of cultivation in the Pure Lake is also a Rayfold question. 
The question of honor's perpendicularity, then, is another big one. Since he's dead and the power still exists, there is some element of uncertainty as to where his perpendicularity is and how it manifests itself. Azur talks a little bit about one unstable perpendicularity on the planet, and we've been told that they don't always need to be stable pools of liquid. So, while Brandon hasn't committed to this fact, it's possible that the High Storm, which is known to bring the power of the spiritual realm into the physical realm to refill Stormlight, and which has a strangely colorful presence in Shadesmar, is actually Honor's normal perpendicularity. Then, though, we get to the weird human manipulation, as always. For one, we've seen movement into the cognitive realm via a few methods. Shallan accidentally drops in there while soul casting for the first time. But it's Yasna Colin's Elsecaller's Surge of Transportation that's a more clear manipulation of the rules. Transportation allows an Elsecaller to concentrate enough investiture to slip into the cognitive realm, and effectively world hop. They have to find the right time and place to world hop back into the physical realm, though, which is not as simple. This kind of manipulation means that, during the days of the Knights Radiant, it's likely that world hopping was a little bit more common. But then there's also the elephant in the room, Dalinar Colon at the end of Oathbringer. When Dalinar swore the third oath of the Bondsmiths, he thrust out one hand and pierced the cognitive realm, then grabbed the spiritual realm, then grabbed the spiritual realm with the other and brought all three together in a move that refilled all of the spheres across Thalen City, and, impressively, shocked both the Stormfather and Odium himself. Odium screams, We killed you, indicating that Dalinar is drawing from Honor's power. The Stormfather, despite having bonded to Bondsmiths before, has never seen power at that level. And Dalinar replies that he's doing something different. Since Dalinar is probably the first Bondsmith after Honor died, and Honor infused the Stormfather with some amount of his own power, Dalinar is using Honor's remnants, the Stormfather's soul, and his own will. Dalinar proclaims, I am unity, and Syl confirms that he is creating Honor's perpendicularity right there. And then the book ends before we can kind of figure out what happened. Which is fine, since we'll get to explore more of that in Stormlight 4 and 5, likely in Stormlight 5, which is, which is going to be a little more Dalinar-heavy. However, it's possible that Dalinar's ability to open Honor's perpendicularity is something that he can do multiple times, instantly infusing spheres. It means, however, that we may see more manipulation of perpendicularities as time goes on, and Dalinar potentially ascends to shardic levels of power. We'll just have to see. But yeah, that was the perpendicularities episode, and I hope you enjoyed. If you like what you hear, share this podcast with your Cosmere Wear buddies and subscribe to the show. Maybe leave a review on iTunes if you find the time. Regardless, I'm always happy to hear comments and criticisms on my Reddit posts or at worldhoppersguide at gmail.com, where you can also send ideas for topics you'd like to see explored or explained. Thanks to the 17th Shard for the resources to make this show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod for the intro music. And thanks to you for listening. See you in a bit.